Before going to uh, the uh, It's Awkward series, which I'm, I'm starting today, is that um, last year, you may recall, I went to Cyprus. And in my effort to make you excellent Christians and a little better Greeks, um, I wanted to tell you that it was, it was such an incredible experience going to some of those spiritual sites, uh, uh, churches where uh, built on the sites where Paul the Apostle taught and preached and even was persecuted for the faith. But before we went, before I went, I invited a spiritual and professional life coach to work with our staff team, a guy called Johan Birkus. He's worked with a, a national sevens aside. He's worked with global companies and, um, and he worked with our staff. And so here's what I felt would be a great thing to do, is to introduce a tour to the spiritual sites on the island of Cyprus, which is in the book of Acts, but to take Johan with us to do morning life coaching sessions in those church buildings that are a couple of thousand years old and to spend six or seven days together You'll have to apply um, and uh, come along and experience both a Greek island and a life coaching spiritual impartation time together uh, on the Greek island. And uh, so I'm going to take a tour. Now, if you're nervous about my planning skills, Ryan is coming with. And in fact, the two of us are going to go and do a dry run of the whole thing in a, a couple of months' time. So we get the hotel right, the restaurants right, the lot, and come back again. Such suffering for the gospel. Such persecution, having to go to the islands for Jesus. Um, but we're going to open applications for people who are keen to come. There's a limited number. It is about uh, 16 people. And it, there is a cost, obviously, the flights and the coach and all of that is around 40000 for the seven-day trip. But if you're interested, please email Ryan, not me, Ryan at fathershousesa.org. And we're going to likely aim for an off-season, so October uh, um, uh, sometime, uh, probably the first week of October, because you still get a bit of summer, but you don't get the costs of the summer season. Cool. It's awkward. I'm very excited to share this message with you. Recently, a friend who's also been part of this family uh, for several years, and my tenant at a property I have, was leaving PE uh, to move to Joburg. Got a good job, has a lovely girl there. It's a good decision. During his packing up and getting ready to move, we were being sarcastic and jokey with one another. I told him I'd fly him back to look after the dogs when I went on overseas trips. And he told me he was only glad to be rid of me and my Greek ways. After he had packed everything up, Mark, if you know him, he served in security here. Um, he packed up and got ready to leave. It was time to give uh, the key back. But we had been typically uh, South African men uh, teach, teasing each other uh, sarcastically for the whole day. When he came to give the key, I had this most uncomfortable feeling that I should do a prayer. But the context seemed awkward now. It was like that uncomfortable feeling I felt to do a prayer during the Springbok game yesterday. <laughs> Even I watched that game. 
And even I prayed like you did in the last three minutes. We prayed so hard, we had the opposition almost off the field completely on yellow cards. I, I text messaged Coach Dion Davis, who's part of our church in Cape Town, and said, that was very stressful to watch. But we got to this awkward moment, and in that moment, I thought, I'm just going to go with it. I said, Mark, do you mind if I prayed with you? And the dogs were barking, and we'd already had a day of sarcasm and cynicism. And I just prayed that God would bless his ways, direct his paths, fill him with all the desires of his heart that he had felt he had fought for and seemed so elusive. And in that moment, Jesus seemed to come into the room. Then he prayed. And he prayed about his gratitude for his journey and the opportunity to be in community and the desire to find community again when he gets to Joburg. And between his prayer and my prayer and Jesus entering the room and that awkward moment and the dogs keeping quiet, it seemed right that we gave each other a macho hug and wished each other well on, their, on his way. I want to talk to you today about how important it is for you to seek discomfort. It's interesting that we live in a world now where comfort is king. I also loved doing church online. I could preach in shorts. Once, I might have to do that when I go to Karicha. Once I let it slip, I was in a formal shirt and I was preaching and I moved my leg over and my kneecap popped up on the live stream. Do you remember? Delete it from your memories. It was comfortable. I also liked engaging with people only through a device from a distance. But sometimes God has to move us out of comfort in order to get us to calling, to give us a feeling of discomfort to get us to destiny. And the Bible is full of examples of conversations Jesus has with people that are awkward or uncomfortable. But when they get past that, they get to discover a powerful Jesus. I'm a little worried that Christianity is going to be diluted to a knowledge or a philosophy or a debate or an argument and not a person. Christianity is not a person, is not a place or a philosophy. Christianity still comes down to one fundamental idea. And that's a bunch of people saying, come, let me introduce you to this man I met called Jesus. And you know, sometimes we forget it just is that. It's the disciples calling their friends and saying, come meet this guy, Jesus. It's the woman at the well going to her town and saying, come meet a man I met at a well who knew everything about me. In the end, discomfort is part of divine intervention. And I think we need to ask the Lord to step into our comfort zones, not for us to step out of our comfort zones, but to the Lord to step into our comfort zones and move things around a little. Second Corinthians chapter 7 from the Message Translation has a verse in it that very few people will ever highlight. It's not one of those highlight verses. You know, highlight verses are, you will win. 
Highlight verses are, the devil is defeated. Highlight verses are, no weapon formed against you. But would you consider highlighting this? I know I distressed you greatly with my last letter. Oh, highlighter. Nobody wants to highlight that. Oh, you don't know what a highlighter is? Uh, um, uh, cut and paste. Although I felt awful at the time, Paul says, I, I, I didn't feel at all bad now that I see how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. Not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from Him. The result was all gains, no loss. You know, there's something really powerful about Paul writing to these guys in Corinth and saying, I know the last time we chatted, it was uncomfortable. And when I got home, I felt bad that it was uncomfortable for you. But now thinking about it, you needed to be a little uncomfortable in something so that it would get you jarred into action and closer to God. If we're trying to keep people close to God and comfortable, we're going to have a problem. Every now and then, it's going to be uncomfortable on the journey to discovering God's divine purpose. God is busy at work, moving in powerful ways. And it usually looks like something awkward. Jonah has an interesting story. Everyone knows Jonah's story only because it's about a guy getting eaten by a whale. So we find that story humorous. But you know, that's not the only miraculous moment Jonah had. Jonah had another one, one that irritated him a little. I suppose getting swallowed by a whale could also be a little irritating. But in Jonah chapter four, Jonah, very self-righteous, tells the people of Nineveh, God is done with you. Very Old Testament style. In the next few days, he's judging you. You're gonna die. Jonah moves outside of the city and waits to see. Turns his camera on and gets ready for his TikTok post. And here's what happens in chapter four, verse five. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So self-righteous. Watch this, guys. God's gonna ruin you. But you see, of course, God had changed his mind because the people of Nineveh had repented. Now Jonah's doubly irritated. He's thinking, I told them you would do something big. Now you're doing nothing. And now I'm sitting on the side here. So God wanted to teach him a lesson about comfort. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. I mean, I had to bring gardening in here somehow. And made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. He's quite pleased about this. Jonah was very happy about the plant. Not that plant that makes people happy that way. I'm just clarifying for some of our people because some of our people will only highlight that verse. I'm quite disappointed it was on the screen by itself because somebody's taking a screenshot, going home and saying, I know a plant that God plants that makes me very happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. I didn't have time to put the whole verse on there. <laughs> now Jonah's annoyed. Nothing's happening. I'm sitting outside watching. It's very hot. You put a plant, then a worm comes and eats the plant. And you know, Jonah's expressing his frustration with God. And then God asks him a question. He said, Jonah, you know, when you had no plant, it was a blessing that I gave it to you. And when I took the plant away, you never had one to begin with. Your comfort is not my primary concern. Your calling is. And I want to encourage you today. Watch out. 
Ja, klappe wo? Watch out if all you're looking for is a Christianity that puts shade over your head to take you away from all kinds of discomfort. That's not the faith that we know. The faith that we know changes lives by moving us into awkward conversations and discussions. It's dangerous to condense Christianity and our faith down to something very easy. There's that song, Easy Like Sunday Morning. It's a good song, right? Well, it's a jazzy, it's my, it's my vibe. But I'm worried that we turn Christ into the easiest part of Sunday morning. What we really need is a faith that confronts our discomfort. I realized in my lounge that night when, we, when I took the keys from my friend and tenant, had I missed that moment, I would have lived in comfort, but not in calling. Maybe you need to move your prayer life from for what we're about to receive, Lord, make us truly grateful and shift it into something where you put the words together yourself. It'll be a little awkward at first, but in the awkwardness will come the awesomeness. Maybe you need to shift. I'll express my own vulnerability in this space. Every time we do a giving message at church, you know that moment between singing and preaching? To me, the most awkward moment in church. It's never short enough. I constantly want to move away from it. I'm mindful of the visitor thinking, oh yeah, typical. But I've also come to realize things are uncomfortable because you haven't settled in your heart that matter. And it can't be avoided or ignored. I've shared this so many times that by now Pastor Brian is sick of it. But because he did it this morning, so will I. He's the consummate encourager. He pulls me aside every time he sees me. Brother, because that's how the saints spoke who were born again properly. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's how we grew up. You're doing a good work. Then he holds my hand. He's learned now because I'm like a slippery eel. When he starts, I duck and dive and I move away, but he holds my hand. You're doing a good job. I'm so impressed with what you're doing. Your messages are, I think, can this end? But here's my honest confession. I have a problem in that area. Somewhere deep inside, what he's actually doing is ministering. He's bringing Jesus into the room to say to George, those feelings you have sometimes when you think you're unappreciated and get a bit bitter about it, I'm dealing with that now. So stand there in the discomfort so that you can get to the destiny. Be in the awkward so you can find awesome. You have to do it. It is uncomfortable. It's meant to be. Stop looking for shady Christianity. It just keeps us in a comfort zone of some kind. It makes us feel like everything is going to be all right. Before it becomes all right, it's going to be a little bit of rough. I know this is not the sermon you were hoping for this morning. We've got load shedding. We've got a street lamp that gave up the ghost around the corner. And just those of you who watch that, follow that accident uh, Facebook page, literally there's a street lamp on the bridge And the person who took the photo commented, this street lamp just decided, nah, I'm out. 
it just collapsed on it. I get it. You had to navigate. You had to navigate potholes coming in here. I have two prayers running at the same time. Pray for towering of the potholes or for everybody at Father's house to be blessed with a, B, uh, with a four by four, uh, preferably a Defender, a Toyota, uh, uh, Fortuna. I'm joking, I'm joking. Now watch. Some clown is going to cut just that part of the message and, and post it. And I'm at the point where I don't care. If you've got time enough to be editing um, my clips, then you might need to explore getting a life. Should I, should I not have said that? I'm sorry, that was, was in my notes though. Uh, I, sorry. I also got an SMS saying power is back on. So I'm not sure if that implies. <laughs> Stop now. <laughs> we want coffee now, this guy. I want to take you through three examples of discomfort and how they take us to destiny or awkwardness and how it becomes awesome. Tonight, I'm going to continue this series. So I'm going to do morning and evening for two weeks. Then we're going to start the grace series on the gospel of good news and we'll broadcast it to all our churches for three weeks so people stop fearing God and show rather reverence to Him and then find what a father is in who God is. First of all, there is discomfort in our doubts. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we doubt something. But one of the most useful things you can go through is to navigate your doubt and let God expose it in your heart. John chapter 1, verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me, Philip, like Andrew. And Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about uh, whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What a proclamation. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, he truly is an Israelite uh, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel's doubting that. He said, well, how, how, do you, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree uh, um, uh, before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, uh, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I say something like that, you'll see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly I say to you, you will see heaven open, angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I like Nathaniel because Nathaniel represents most of the world right now. Nazareth. Christianity. Can anything good tithing? Singing. Are you guys still doing that? Can anything good come out of that? And despite the fact that he had his doubts, and despite the fact that he had contempt for something, because it was seen as lower class. You see, Nazareth wasn't the cool cities. It wasn't the capital city. It wasn't the richest city. Church in a warehouse. Come see about a man named Jesus. We don't have stained glass windows to show you, but they can't change you anyway. 
there is a man named Jesus Christ. Come and see for yourself. We're increasingly living in a world in which people go, Christianity. And it's time for the church to get out of its comfort zone and to remind people, come see for yourself. Jesus is still doing miracles, powerful, powerful miracles in our present day. In fact, during the Grace Series in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to introduce the series with a little clip sharing a testimony from somebody in our churches, either here or elsewhere, where God has walked into the room. Because I want you to know that these awkward conversations that result in awesome miracles didn't just happen in the Bible. They're still happening today. You may very well be sitting next to somebody who recently had an awkward conversation with Jesus and the result of that has been awesome. The second thing I want to talk to you about concerning discomfort is that sometimes discomfort is pushing you into making a decision. Sometimes decisions are not the product of a pros and cons list. Sometimes decisions aren't even just logical. They're instinctive and often uncomfortable. You know John 3, surely, must surely know John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I mean even the unchurched know that one. But that context is very powerful. Because what happened was a man called Nicodemus who was a religious ruler, came to Jesus late at night by himself to ask a question. At first glance, that looks quite nice. This religious man wanted to ask a question. But actually, Nicodemus is exposing his pride. I'm not going to go to Jesus in public. And I'm not going to go to Jesus in front of people. And I'm not going to go to Jesus in an environment in which I might be embarrassed. And I'm going to ask him a question. And no one ever needs to know. He tried the Christianity is a private matter theory. And as he arrives to tell Jesus how important he was, you've got a spare moment for me after hours, just you and me. Nicodemus, I was with the crowds all day. Yeah, I'm not like them. It's me, a Pharisee. I got qualifications, you know. They call me sir when I walk past. You got time for me, right? Hey, Nicodemus, you want to see God? You got to be born again. Take that arrogant, self-centered, qualified version of yourself and its pride, put it on the cross, and start again. Start again by being born again because nothing you've got qualifies you to be any closer to Christ. That must have been pretty awkward. Sorry, you want me to start again? Do you know how many hours I've done? Do you know how many books I've read? I can quote from the King James. Yes, Nicodemus, but it's not what you did that makes you religious. It's who I am that defines who you are. Nicodemus will have had to at some point tell this story because it made it in the Bible. Sometime or another, 
Nicodemus must have sat with some disciples and said, you guys may not know this, but I had a chat with Jesus one night, just him and I. I booked an appointment in my busy schedule and asked for advice. But you know what he told me? I'm not as important as I think. I should be born again. John writing. What exactly did you say? What exactly did he say? He said something. I asked him, can you go back in your mother's womb? He said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not so smart that you're being silly. I mean, in the spirit, the wind blows. I can't write it down fast enough. And the man who was very important was willing to tell other people that Jesus reminded him he's important, that Jesus is the reason and not his own qualification. I find it amazing that that happens in John chapter three, because in John chapter four, we're talking to a different kind of person. Nicodemus, the righteous religious type, quietly and privately, woman at the well, publicly and openly. Can I have a drink? Jesus, do you know you are, you ask, do you know you asking for a drink? Last night it was Nicodemus, very important. Today, it's a woman with a bad reputation. Both of them needed to see Jesus. You need to see Jesus about your stuff. (laughs) You need to have an awkward encounter to see an awesome deliverance. There's a third... um, area in which we can allow discomfort to change us. Discomfort in our definitions. Oh, definitions are touchy topics right now. Oh, it's so touchy. So touchy, I'm nervous to go there. We're not sure how to define a lot of things right now. Genders have become fluid. (laughs) Definitions about right and wrong have become complicated. But Christians are falling into the same trap. We're becoming uncomfortable to tell people that we are followers of Jesus Christ. We must face that discomfort, put our flag up for our Savior and watch awkward become awesome. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 11 says this, not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, Jesus says. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give it a cheer even. For though they uh, don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. The prophets and the witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. You need to get into trouble a little more. Now the same with the plant, not that kind of trouble. I mean spiritual trouble. What this verse really says is, it's unavoidable that it's gonna be awkward to tell people you're a follower of Jesus You believe the Bible as it is written and you've given your life in the pursuit of becoming who God intended for you. It's awkward 
but it's awesome. Maybe you're lacking a bit of awesomeness in your life because you're constantly avoiding awkward. But it really is unavoidable. Get it done. I thought I would wrap up with one last, one last thought. And then, and then really coffee. The machines are warm by now. And you know, we've got very special coffee here at Father's House. It's spiritual coffee. Some of our coffee has come to church more than... I mean, I, had to, I don't know. I, I don't know why I went there. I did. I'm sorry. Uh, in, in, my, in my efforts to constantly joke about my Greekness, there was a Greek author called Aristotle. Very, very long time ago. He, he, he wrote... Uh, he wrote a, 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 an idea uh, he called, uh, he called uh, the five principles of rhetoric. This is free information. If you get nothing else, grab this. Uh, they're the five principles that motivate people. So he, he was trying to say, when you write a play or try to move people in a political speech or whatever, you should try and touch these five ideas because they move people. But he left one out. He left a sixth one that's biblical. I'll give them to you for free, but you could Google this and find it. He said, some people are motivated by logos. Should I say it in the Greek way? Isn't that like annoying when people go, it's croissant, you know, instead of croissant, you know? Isn't that just annoying? It's like, ah, you're so important. Anyway, logos, the Greek word is logos. People are motivated by logic. If it makes sense, I'll do it. Telos. People who are motivated by how will this end for me? How will it work out? Telos, the end. Ethos, ethos. Some people are motivated by will it make me a better person or not? Some people are motivated by pathos, feelings. How will I feel when I do this? If it makes me feel good, I'll do it. The fifth one is kairos. This one was the toughest and some people left it out for a while. Its fundamental idea is when I add it all up, is this option better than the other? Constantly weighing options. But there is one more found in the Bible. The word has been abused a bit in some circles, but it's sozos. It means to be motivated by my inner healing. I don't make all my decisions on logic and I don't make all my decisions on feeling and I don't make all my decisions on how it's gonna work out for me in the end. Some of my decisions are made because Jesus made me whole. And from the function of my wholeness, that decision makes good spiritual sense. The prodigal son went through all of those. The prodigal son said, it's illogical that I wait for my dad to die. I want my money now. The prodigal son said, I better get out of here and make my own living. But while sitting there, he realized it's not going to end well with for me, Delos. He looked around and said, surely I'm a better person than this. Even servants in my father's house are better than this ethos. He felt broken, realizing he's eating from the same trough as pigs, pathos. He said, even if it's embarrassing or awkward, I'll go back to my father. Kairos, only to arrive at a heavenly father who was distributing wholeness, Sozos, and changed his life around. What moves you?
seek discomfort. Would you please stand with me as we pray? I see church life is hotting up. Uh, won't be long now and I'll be up here talking about needing more chairs. And I trust the Lord for that. My prayer today is that God will remind us that faith is about coming and seeing about a man called Jesus. And in the, in the conversation, in the nature of that conversation, to acknowledge that there will be awkwardness. And in that awkwardness, I change and see God's awesomeness. And that discomfort takes me to destiny. Lord, we pray that you'll teach us not just to follow after our own comforts. And remind us that when we have those intersections of divine awkwardness, they switch things around and turn them into awesomeness. Lord, would you please minister to us in the places we feel uncomfortable so that they become places of confidence. For surely we couldn't be confident in something when we feel uncomfortable about it. Holy Spirit, will you minister to us by your Spirit and give every one of us a spiritual journey, a life journey that includes regular encounters with Jesus Christ. Father, will you help us remember that this is no system. This is a story about a relationship, a son meeting their Saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise and thanksgiving?